You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphianvideo.org for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. Russia wants more than Ukraine. The Bible indicates that Israel is high on that list. These are exciting and troubling times for the world. Brother Thomas, a Christadelphian, wrote the following in the preface of a book he penned called Elpis Israel. Back in 1849, yes, 1849, these words were written then more than 173 years ago, but they could not be more relevant than now. He says, The future movements of Russia are notable signs of the times because they are predicted in the scriptures of truth. The Russian autocracy in its plentitude and on the verge of its dissolution is the image of Nebuchadnezzar standing upon the mountains of Israel, ready to be smitten by the stone. When Russia makes its grand move for the building up of its image empire, then let the reader know that the end of all things, as at present constituted, is at hand. The long expected but stealthy advent of the King of Israel will be on the eve of becoming a fact, and salvation will be to those who not only looked for it, but have trimmed their lamps by believing the gospel of the kingdom unto the obedience of faith and the perfection thereof in fruits meet for repentance. Just contemplate that those words were written over 173 years ago when Russia was of little significance in world domination. How remarkable the scriptures of truth are. Over 40 million people in the Ukraine are passing through the most excruciating and agonising experience that you could ever have in your life. Russian soldiers are infiltrating into that country and taking parts of it little by little. And of course we know the agony and the suffering that is going on there right now. But it all had to be that way because the Bible said it would be that way. That that country would have to become part of the nation of Russia. And that's our subject for this evening. But Russia also wants a lot more than Ukraine, as we're going to see this evening. Because the Bible is very explicit about the countries that are going to feel the anger of the the dictator called Gog, that we just read about in Ezekiel chapter 38. So when you come to look at this marvellous chapter, you need to recognise where it sits in the scheme of things. And we know that it is a latter-day prophecy. You may have picked up in the reading of our chairman two times in this chapter do you read the words, the latter days. You find them there, or years, in verse 8, the latter years. And over in verse 16, you find the phrase, the latter days. Now, we know that that means our time, because also in verse 8 of this chapter, you read of the mountains of Israel. There was no country called Israel from 722 BC until 1948. 
There was no country on earth called Israel. They'd gone into captivity in 722 BC at the hands of the Assyrians. But of course there is a country in the world today called Israel. So we know that this prophecy has to be a latter day prophecy. It's about our times. And when you come to look at verse 2, we read of the participant that is going to make life very, very difficult for the nations who are listed in this chapter. Here's Rotherham's literal translation of verse 2 of Ezekiel 38. Son of man, set thy face against Gog, and we go to see that Gog is the title of a dictator, the one at the top, and then we read this phrase, and this is the most important phrase for us this evening, of the land of Magog. In other words, Gog's origin, Gog's source, is in the land of Magog. He comes from that land to fulfil the things of this chapter. He's also called the Prince of Rosh, Meshach and Tubal. Now, similarly, in the Amplified Bible, we read these words. So we know that this is a pretty good translation. Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog, the Prince of Rosh, Meshach and Tubal. So here are those places. This map shows you where these nations are found. The major one, of course, here is Rosh. This is the name, the ancient name from which we get Russia today, as we shall see. And, of course, you've got the other countries referred to here, Meshech and Tubal. At least this is the, the portion of the, of the Earth's territory that bears those three names. And then we're going to find other names as we proceed in this chapter. We read about nations like Goma, which is France, this area of Magog over here. We've got the, the countries of, 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 uh, uh, of Tagama and so on that are mentioned, Dedan and Sheba, all of them are here listed in Ezekiel 38. And we want to explore how many of those are on Russia's conquest list in the future. And there are quite a few. So what about this name, Rosh? Well, of course, you go to, to Moscow today and you follow behind a government vehicle and you see on the number plate here, R-U-S, the Rus. That is where they got the name Russia from, the Rus, the kingdom of the Rus. And where was that kingdom originally established? Well, it's, we read that Gog is of the land of Magog. And so the kingdom of the Rus is in this area here, above the Black Sea. This area here above the Black Sea was where the kingdom of the Rus was originally established. And you see, of course, that the heart of that is the country of Ukraine. So the current invasion of Russia, by Russia, of Ukraine is due to a couple of factors. Ukraine was trying to join the European Union, especially join NATO. And of course, that's what caused Vladimir Putin to, to take umbrage that, and that, a, that a nation that once belonged to the Soviet Union should want to become part of his enemy, NATO to the West. And the other major factor in this, as we're going to see this evening, was Ukraine severing its religious ties to Moscow. The Greek Orthodox Church, which became the Russian Orthodox Church when they went to Russia, is, of course, a very powerful institution in Russia now. And the Ukrainians, who were once part of the, of the Moscow uh, uh, area of that religion, have severed themselves from it. 
And that caused Putin a lot of pain. So he has an ambition. There's no question he has an ambition. And, of course, in fulfilling that ambition, he's going to become Gog of the land of Magog because he wants the heartland of the original kingdom of the Rus. This is Kievan Rus in the time of its greatest emperor who ruled from Kiev. His name was Vladimir I or Vladimir the Great. And he came to his most powerful uh, time in 1015 AD. And he happens to be Vladimir Putin's hero, as we're going to see this evening. He wants to model himself on Vladimir I. And Putin has always regarded Ukraine as part of Russia. He described the fall of the USSR in the late 80s and 90s of the last century as the greatest geopolitical disaster in history. And he wants to reverse that. So, what about this Vladimir the Great? Why is he so important to Vladimir Putin? Well, here's a little piece on the, on the meaning and the history of the name Vladimir. It happens to mean to rule with greatness. It's derived from the Slavic element, volod, to rule, combined with mer, to be great or famous. And the second element has also been associated with mer, meaning peace or world. This was the name of, of an 11th century Grand Prince of Kiev who was venerated as a saint because of his efforts to Christianise Russia. And I wanted to point out tonight how important that element is. We're going to see, as we proceed, that religion plays a major role in what's happening now in the Ukraine. So then, I want to just step you back to 1997. This appeared in, the, in news.com. The 1990s manifesto outlining Russia's plans is starting to come true, was the heading. In 1997, a Russian political scientist named Alexander Dugin and a serving Russian general named Nikolai Klokotov sat down and wrote a text that would become the foundation of Russian geopolitical strategy over the next 20 years. It was called Foundations of Geopolitics, which is why very few people read it. And it was all about how Russia could reassert itself in the world. Chillingly, the book now reads like a to-do list for Putin's behaviour on the world stage. The book starts out by saying that the shrewd thing for Russia to do is to steer clear of direct military confrontation, except when a nation like Ukraine won't bow to your wishes, Instead, the book counsels Russian leaders to favour political stealth, which, of course, Putin has been doing now for a long time. It emphasises the need for the infiltration of Western institutions and the use of soft power to shape the world in Russia's favour. The book argues significantly that Ukraine should, surprise, surprise, they say, be annexed by Russia. That is happening now, in 2022. The book's authors also say that Russia should encourage Britain, this is 1997, remember, to leave the European Union and thus weaken it. That's right, Russian strategists were openly arguing in favour of Brexit 
1997, when it was just still a glimmer in Nigel Farage's eyes. So you see, what's happening today has actually been outlined a long, long time ago. Because Ukraine, as far as Vladimir Putin is concerned, Ukraine is integral to Russia. The Rus first established Kiev as the capital of the land of the Rus. In 2004, Ukraine elected a democratic European-inclined president. He was poisoned prior to the election and appeared on the stage with a pockmarked face because of the poisoning. Putin's ally at the time, Yanukovych, was defeated in that election and Putin was humiliated. He doesn't take humiliation kindly. So he retaliated in January 2006, that is in the middle of the northern winter, by cutting off gas to the Ukraine and they froze. And so Yanukovych was put back in as prime minister and Putin offered to restore uh, Yanukovych on the basis that he would, he would give the nation $15 billion as a loan designed to head off Ukraine's drift towards Europe. Way back then, he wanted to stop Ukraine becoming part of Europe and of NATO. So you see, this has got a long history. This is, just hasn't happened overnight. There is a long history that goes back not only to last century when they wrote that book, but a couple of hundred years as we're going to see. And of course, Yanukovych was finally ousted by the people and all of that came to nothing. Now I want to just show you how the world has viewed the events that have now developed into war. Here's an article by the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. This is written in February 2019, three years ago. It's all about the return of global Russia. And this is what they say. Success begets more success. And since Putin's return to the presidency in 2012, his record has been enhanced by what Russian officialdom sees as several important wins. The annexation of Crimea, the war in eastern Ukraine, the military deployment in Syria, the tense military standoff with the West in the Baltic and Black Seas, and the interference in US and European domestic politics have all enhanced Russia's image as a major power with significant power projection capabilities, as well as Putin's reputation as a bold and skilled leader. These victories have also demonstrated to the world Russia's propensity for risk-taking and punching above its weight, along with its improved capabilities for warfare and operations, short of war in multiple domains, land, air, space, sea, cyber and information operations. Now this is, of course, an institution, the Carnegie Institution, looking at what's happening in Europe and seeing the danger that was on the horizon because Putin had had some success. And then they say something about sanctions. The only comeback that the nations have against Russia, because they don't want to go to war, the Western nations have imposed what they say are severe sanctions. This is what the Carnegie people thought about that. Moreover, the Kremlin's record since 2012 suggests that it will not be deterred or constrained by economic difficulties. The Russian economy has performed poorly since then, with growth hampered by a failure to institute long overdue structural reforms and excessive dependence on exporting hydrocarbons and other raw materials. But 
Economic difficulties have not put a break on Russian activism abroad. To the contrary, the Kremlin's ability to withstand both domestic economic difficulties and Western sanctions without changing course is a sign of Moscow's commitment to an activist foreign policy as a long-term choice of the country's leadership. Now, if the leaders of the Western world had read that article, they would have realised that their sanctions were not going to stop Putin at all. So let's come back then to Ezekiel chapter 38. You get a bit of a feel for the background as to what, why what is happening now is actually happening. Let's have a look then at what is said about this character Gog in Ezekiel 38 verse 2. Gog of the land of Magog. Now here is Angus Bible Dictionary written over 100 years ago. And this is what he says about Ezekiel 38 and 39 in relation to this character Gog. Ezekiel 38 39, which deal with Gog, the prince, and Magog, his land. Notice that, he's got that right. He's of the land of Magog. Describe the actual invasion of Palestine, as it was called then. This is, of course, pre-1948 by a great northern confederacy ostensibly headed up by Russia. He's got that right. All right, so he's identified this name Rosh that we saw in verse 2. He's identified that as being the most ancient form of the name Russia. The scene depicts a gigantic outburst of anti-Semitism. So there's a religious flavour to this. And a colossal attempt to overrun Palestine and annihilate the Jew. Now, that's a pretty good summary of what Ezekiel 38 verse 2 is about. And when you look up the meaning of that name Gog, as you can see on the base of that slide, it means a roof, the one at the top, according to the English and Hebrew Bible students' concordance. There are religious underpinnings to the invasion of the land of Israel described in this chapter, Ezekiel 38. There are religious underpinnings to what's happening in the Ukraine right now. We want to expand upon that in a moment. The horrendous persecution of the Jews for centuries, indeed for millennia, by the orthodox religions for what they call the blood libel, the fact that they killed their God, their tr the Trinitarian God, because they, they murdered Christ. They've made them pay for centuries with persecution. And it just so happens, of course, that the president of Ukraine at the moment, Vladimir Zelensky, happens to be a Jew. That probably plays some little part in it as well. What about this man, Putin? Is religion important to him? Well, you wouldn't think so by some of his actions. But in actual fact, he portrays himself as a devoted Christian. Putin's devout Christian mother, he had an atheist father, but his devout Christian mother secretly baptised him at, at, after his birth. And he still wears his baptismal cross. And you see people walking around with a cross around their neck. He still wears his baptismal cross. And of course you can see him here. Here he is kissing the image of the icon of the Madonna of Vladimir. Very appropriate, isn't it? There he is in the presence of the Pope. He presented this particular icon to the Pope and kissed it in his presence. And here he is with Patriarch Kirill who when he came to power in 2004 said that he was going to make the Russian Orthodox Church a Putin church. And he has made it a Putin church. 
And Putin is using religion for his own purpose. When he gave his State of the Nation speech in December 2013, he took out the whip against the corrupt West. He said this in his speech. Today, many nations are revising their moral values and ethical norms, eroding ethnic traditions and differences between peoples and cultures. Society is now required to accept without question the equality of good and evil, strange as it seems, concepts that are opposite in meaning. Many Euro-Atlantic countries have moved away from their roots, including Christian values. Policies are being pursued that place on the same level a multi-child family and a same-sex partnership, a faith in God and a belief in Satan. This is the path to degradation. And as a result of that, he banned the advertising of anything to do with homosexuality. In Russia, you cannot publicise it. In Russia, you might practise it, but you can't publicise it. Look, look at the Western nations. Look what they're doing. So he's using the whip of religion against the West. So don't ever think that religion's out of this. It's a major part of what's happening today in the Ukraine and, of course, it will ultimately also involve the nation of Israel because Armageddon, Armageddon will be a religious conflict as well as a political one. That's why we read in Ezekiel 36 that the invader of the land says, Aha! We have got the holy places, the ancient holy places in our possession. They've come to take back the religious icons in the land of Israel. It's a religious conflict. So let's take Vladimir Putin's word. Let's take his own word for this. On the 12th of July 2021, he wrote a very lengthy article on the historical unity of Russians and Ukrainians. During the recent direct line, he said, when I was asked about Russian-Ukrainian relations, I said that Russians and Ukrainians were one people, a single whole. These words were not driven by some short-term considerations or prompted by the current political context. It is what I have said on numerous occasions and what I firmly believe. I therefore feel it necessary to explain my position in detail and share my assessments of today's situation. Russians, Ukrainians and Belarusians, watch out Belarus, are all descendants of ancient Rus. Yes, they are. That is where the kingdom of the ancient Rus in the 900 ADs was first established. Kiev was its first capital and the great Vladimir I ruled from Kiev, Putin's hero. He goes on to say, which was the largest state in Europe at the time, the kingdom of the Rus. Slavic and other tribes across the vast territory from Ladoga, Novgorod, Sok to Kiev and Chernigov were bound together by one language, which we now refer to as Old Russian, economic ties, the rule of the princes of the Rurik dynasty and, after the baptism of Rus, the Orthodox faith. The spiritual choice made by Saint Vladimir, who was both Prince of Novgorod and Grand Prince of Kiev, still largely determines our affinity today. So this man is invading Ukraine, not just because he wants to take it politically, but because of religion. He went on to say this, 
The throne of Kiev held a dominant position in ancient Rus. This had been the custom since the late 9th century. The tale of bygone years captured for posterity the words of Oleg the prophet about Kiev. Let it be the mother of all Russian cities. Getting a bit of a feel for what's behind his desire to take over the Ukraine. It's not just about politics. It's about religion. He said, I am confident that true sovereignty of Ukraine is possible only in partnership with Russia. Our spiritual, human and civilizational ties form for centuries and have their origins in the same sources they have been hardened by common trials, achievements and victories. Our kinship has been transmitted from generation to generation. It is in the hearts and the memory of people living in modern Russia and Ukraine, in the blood ties that unite millions of our families. Together we have always been and will be many times stronger and more successful for we are one people. I think someone's probably told Vladimir Putin that we're having this lecture tonight and they've got their cyber people working on it. So we're getting uh, some difficulties on the screen. What about Putin and Ukraine then? Well, this is another article about uh, just a few months ago, 23rd of November 2021, by a, a fellow called Taras Kuzio. And he wrote about Vladimir Putin testing the weak West in Ukraine and Poland. And this is what he wrote. Putin's hunger for geopolitical respect and his desire to avenge perceived historical injustices helped to explain his apparent obsession with Ukraine. Fuelled by chauvinist stereotypes inherited from the Soviet and Tsarist eras, Putin continues to insist that modern Ukraine's natural place is with Russia and rejects overwhelming evidence demonstrating the Ukrainian population's preference for Euro-Atlantic integration. So there's a little bit of background from what people have written about the Ukrainian crisis over the last few years. But I want to have a look now at this map because, you see, we showed the map in relation to the Ukraine. This is what historians say is the land of Magog. Yes, it does include Germany over here, but it also includes a lot of other nations. And the two largest nations here, perhaps perhaps from Germany being slightly larger than Belarus, the two nations here, Ukraine and Belarus, were the very seat of the kingdom of the Rus back in the 900 AD era. And that's where they first established their kingdom. Now, if you want to establish or re-establish the old empire of Russia, you have to have its heartland. You have to go back to its hometown. And that's why Putin wants to take over the Ukraine. But watch out, Belarus. Because, you see, what happened was Putin stationed troops there. Now, how did that happen? Well, Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko stole the 2019 presidential election from the opposition leader and he chased her out of the country, which, of course, is not uncommon in that, in that area of the world. This was followed by massive protest riots in the country that saw many people imprisoned and some tortured and killed. Many of them were beaten black and blue. Lukashenko called on President Putin to help him out and Putin, of course, obliged. Of course he would. But to prepare for the invasion of Ukraine, he asked Lukashenko, can I station troops uh, on the border of Ukraine in your country? And Lukashenko, what could he say? 
he had to give in. And so the troops came in. Now, last week, Lukashenko, this is before, of course, the invasion, he asked Putin when the Russian troops were going to leave. They probably won't ever leave. They will be there, just like they are in Moldova, on the south of the Ukraine. Russian troops, 2,000 of them, have been in Moldova since the 1990s. And they've been asked to go home. And they haven't gone home. He's not going anywhere. Because, you see, Belarus is part of the land of Mago. It's part of the original kingdom of the Rus. And that's what he wants. And when he gets it, we're going to have Gog of the land of Mago. Now, what about other nations involved here? Well, I mentioned that there's a long list in this chapter, and there is. When you come to Ezekiel chapter 38, verses 5 to 7, you read about some of them. We have Persia. Now, this is a reference not just to Iran. This is the Persia of Ezekiel's time. This is the Persia that goes from Syria to the Indus River in modern Pakistan. It became ultimately the kingdom of the Seleucids. It's, it was called in the Bible the king of the north. That also is going to become part of Russian territory. So you can put a lot of nations in there, can't you? Syria, which Russia's already in Syria. Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan. They're going to go back into Afghanistan, by the way, shortly. And Pakistan. By the way, the Pakistani prime minister went to Moscow just a few days ago because, you see, the Americans have cut off Pakistan. They won't supply them anything anymore. So where does he go? He goes to Russia. So we're going to see a lot of things happening in that regard in the years to come. So there's Persia. Then you've got Ethiopia, which is actually a reference to Sudan, to the south of Egypt. And then you've got Libya, which is, of course, in an awful mess and ultimately will become part of the Russian uh, Confederacy. And then you go on to Goma, now, Goma is a reference to the Galatians or Gauls who migrated west to France, Holland and Belgium, those southern European countries, according to Josephus. So it's primarily a reference, we believe, to France and to those countries around France. Then you've got in this record Tagama. Tagama is a reference to the area of eastern Turkey, particularly of Armenia. It is the biblical Tagama. And Armenia is also in the Russian orbit and goes on to say, Be thou prepared and prepare for thyself, thou and all thy company that are assembled unto thee, and be thou a guard unto them. And that word guard means the guard of a prison. Jesenius says it means a custodian. And I think you can see exactly what Putin is up to. He's going to become the custodian of countries like Belarus and Ukraine. And they're not the last on the list there are going to be many, many more in the future. So what I want to do now is to stand back from this chapter, Ezekiel 38, and just summarise it for you to see what we've got here. In verse 2, as we pointed out, we have a dictator called Gog who dominates the Eurasian continent, the entire Eurasian continent. The territory east and north of Israel, as we've just seen in verses 5 and 6, is under Gogian control at the time of Armageddon. In verse 6, we see that a dependent Europe will fall under Gog's political control. Now, at the moment, of course, Europe is up in arms over the invasion of the Ukraine. Wait till they have their gas cut off. Wait till they suffer serious economic problems when the great crash comes, and it's due this year. 
Wait till then and see what happens. France is already talking about having a stronger relationship with Russia. Germany knows that it depends on Russian gas and oil. So those, those countries will ultimately fall into the Russian orbit. And the West Bank in verse 8 has to become part of Israel proper, which is why we've seen so much activity in that regard in the last few years. Israel is going to annex the West Bank because, you see, you read in verse 8 that Gog comes down with his, with his army upon the mountains of Israel and 90% of the mountains of Israel happen to be in what's called the West Bank today. It's got to become part of Israel proper. We go on in Ezekiel 38 to verses 8 to 11. And Israel will be found at peace both internally and with its near neighbours. And we've seen some remarkable things happening in that regard in the last few years because Israel is now building relations with its former enemies and they are clamouring to become partners with Israel in the Middle East. It's an amazing turnabout, but it had to happen according to Bible prophecy. Israel will be very prosperous and envied, and it is that today that's only going to get better for Israel in the future. They are making marvellous progress on the economic front. Then we read in verse 13 of this chapter that Yemen, and that's the, the Sheba, and Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states, the Dedan, you can prove that historically, are first to oppose the Gogit invasion. It's telling us that they're actually allies of Israel at the time of the Gogit invasion of the land that this chapter describes. In that same verse, verse 13, we read that Britain and her young lions, that is former colonies with British form of government, follow suit and oppose the Gogit invasion of the land of Israel. Verses 15 to 17 tell us that a massive invasion of Israel comes from the far north. A bit more about that in a second. Verse 18 tells us that the God of Israel intervenes to save his people from complete destruction at the hand of Gog. And in verses 19 and 20, there's going to be a massive earthquake that confuses and destroys the invading army. In verses 21 to 22, the confusion will be so great that there will be mutual destruction and it will be combined with heavenly artillery to destroy the invaders of the land. And in verse 23, the judgments produce recognition of Yahweh as Israel's God. So the picture that this chapter presents is of this massive invasion from almost four points of the compass. Those red arrows, they come from Europe, they come from Libya, they come from the south, from Sudan, they come from the, from the east, and they join in this confederacy of nations that come down upon the mountains of Israel. They're opposed by the, the countries to the south, Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states, and by Britain and those that are allies of Britain. And all of this is for what the Bible calls Armageddon. Armageddon being a place name, a place where the battle will be fought. And that place happens to be in the land of Israel, in the Hebrew, it says, in the land of Israel. So that is why, that is why Russia has been so active in the area of the Mediterranean in recent years. That is why they went into Syria in 2015 to get involved in the civil war in that country. That is why they have spent billions of rubles building the port of Tartus. You can see the port of Tartus down here. And the port of Latakia, they rent that from the Syrians. They have massive amounts of shipping there. They've also got an airport there at Latakia. 
and they are building up their, their force just to the north of Israel because, you see, Bible prophecy says that they're going to use that naval force. In Daniel chapter 11 and at verse 40 we read these words, And the king of the north shall come against him like a whirlwind, him there being actually the ruler of Turkey or Constantinople or Istanbul as it's called today. She'll come against him like a whirlwind <clears throat> with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships and he shall enter into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. I'm going to take you to Daniel chapter 11 in a moment. So there are many nations on this list. Russia wants a lot more than Ukraine, says the Bible. Observers without Bible knowledge are warning that the Baltic states, formerly nations that were part of the Soviet Union, are next after Ukraine and Belarus. The Bible declares that Southern Europe, with France as the principal among them, will become part of the Gogian Confederacy. We just saw that in Ezekiel 38 and at verse 6, the country of Goma. Turkey, or at least its European portion, that is to the, to the north uh, of the Hellespont, that is including the, the city of Istanbul, will fall to Russia because it is going to be used as the base of their attack on the Middle East. Countries like Libya, Sudan, Syria, Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan and Pakistan, which form part of the ancient Seleucid Kingdom, are all on that list. It's a big list, isn't it? And it's all to come. So if you think that the problems in Ukraine are big, it's going to get bigger in the years to come. Israel is the last on the list. Now I want you to have a look at Ezekiel 38 at verses 14 to 16. Our chairman read out for us from the King James Version of the Bible. I'm going to read to you what's on the screen. It's the International Standard Version. Now it's not that much different, but it does make some very interesting little points. And they're highlighted here. Therefore, son of man, prophesy to Gog and tell him, this is what the Lord God says. When the day comes when my people are living securely, won't you be aware of it? You'll come in, your, in from your home in the remote parts of the north. Now just pause there for a second. If you got into an aeroplane and took off from the Ben Gurion airport and flew due north, guess where you're going to arrive? Slightly to the west of Moscow, and if you keep going, you'll come to the Arctic. So what is the country in the remotest parts of the north, do you think, from Israel? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? It's the largest country on the planet. It is called Russia. So there's no doubt that that's clear identification of the country that is going to invade the land of Israel. You'll come with many nations, that is, they've brought these nations that are on the list into their confederacy, all of them riding on, along on horses, which in our modern language would be on tanks or APCs, armoured vehicles, which they're using in Ukraine. You'll be a huge combined army. You'll come up to invade my people Israel like a storm cloud to cover the land. In the last days, Gog, I'll bring you up to invade my land so that the world will learn to know me, 
when I show them how holy I am before their very eyes. There's no doubt that Israel is the last country on Russia's list and that's going to be their fate because, you see, Israel happens to be God's people. Now, they are a wayward people today. Their land is filled with corruption. Tel Aviv is the centre of European homosexuality. It is a nation filled with disbelief, with atheism and all sorts of wickedness. So God's going to bring this nation, the Gogian Confederacy, upon them to punish them. But he's not going to destroy them. He's going to destroy the invading army. And when the purification of his nation has been accomplished, he will be glorified in their midst because the Lord Jesus Christ will be in the earth to sit upon David's throne in Jerusalem and he will convert those who remain in the land. So Israel is on the list, but it will survive. And it will survive because God made promises to their fathers. It will survive because the Lord Jesus Christ said that salvation is of the Jews. It's of the Jews because of the promises that God made to their fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And those promises we can believe today. And if we do, we can secure a place in the kingdom of God. Now, I said to you, I was going to take you to another passage, to Daniel chapter 11. I'd like you to come along there with me. The prophecy of Daniel, next after Ezekiel. Daniel chapter 11, verses 40 to 45, says almost precisely the same thing as Ezekiel 38. A massive invasion from the north. Now, we believe the first part of Verse 40 of Daniel 11 was fulfilled in 1917. It can be shown from this context that the hymn of this verse is the power occupying Constantinople. The time of the end, it says in that 40th verse, shall the king of the south, that is a foreign occupying power, which at the time was Britain, the occupying power of Egypt, would push at him, that is the power occupying Constantinople, the Turks, and the British, of course, with Australian help, pushed the Turks out of Palestine. And it became, of course, the basis upon which the nation of Israel was formed in 1948. All part of the grand purpose of our God. But the next part of the verse hasn't yet been fulfilled. We read this out a little earlier, didn't we? And the king of the north shall come against him, that is, against the occupier of Istanbul, the Turkish power. Like a whirlwind with chariots and with horsemen and with many ships, and he shall enter into the, into the countries and shall overflow and pass over. He shall enter also into the glorious land. Now, what's the glorious land, do you think? Well, the glorious land, of course, is the land of Israel. So many ships, they come down. And they come down the coastal strip of the land of Israel. They're already in Syria. It's only got to go through Lebanon. And they go down into Egypt. Let's read on here in verse 41. And many countries shall be overthrown, but those shall escape out of his hand. These shall escape out of his hand, even Edom and Moab and the chief of the children of Ammon. In other words, the country we would call Jordan today. And he shall, stretch, he shall also stretch forth his hand upon the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. We read in Isaiah 19 and at verse 4 that the Egyptians will be given into the hand of a cruel lord. That cruel lord is the Gogian host that comes down upon them as well as the land of Israel. 
The tidings from the east and the north, we read in this chapter, will cause Gog to return to the land of Israel where there will be a gathering of the nations. So the western nations, as we call them today, those who oppose this invasion will come and they'll all be defeated by Gog. And then Gog himself and his army will be destroyed by the intervention of our God through his son and his glorified saints who will be with him in that day. And remember, that's how Ezekiel 38 concludes, isn't it? Verse 21. I will call for a sword against him throughout all my mountains, saith the Lord God. Every man's sword shall be against his brother, and I will plead against him with pestilence and with blood. Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. So Russia's army, its great confederacy, will be destroyed in the land of Israel. And the survivors of the Jewish people in that land will become the nucleus of the kingdom of God. There's going to be a wonderful outcome. It's spoken of in the prophecy of Joel chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. The Lord also shall roar out of Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem. That's about the events that we've just been reading about and the overthrow of those invading nations. And the heavens and the earth shall shake, but the Lord will be the hope of his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So shall ye know that I am the Lord your God, dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall no strangers pass through her any more. So what should we be doing about that, seeing that we've seen now the fulfilment of Bible prophecy, clearly in what's happening in the Ukraine today. And we can go back in history and show all of the things that God said would happen have in fact happened. What should we be doing about that? Well, I think it might be wise to have a look at it, to see what the path is to be part of the kingdom of God. And that's why Christ sent forth his disciples in Mark 16. He said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. He doesn't mean the gospel that's preached from church pulpits today. He means the gospel of the Bible, the gospel of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ based upon the promises that God made to the fathers of Israel. That's the gospel he's talking about. Preach it to every creature, he said. He that believeth and is baptised shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned or condemned. And there are three steps to salvation. We can come from unbelief. We can climb the steps to knowledge and understanding, to belief through enlightenment through the word of God and to live our lives in hope and expectation of the return of Christ which we know cannot be very far away. And when he comes, he might receive us into the kingdom of God to glory and honour and everlasting life. Then there won't be any more Vladimir Putins, the oppressors of the earth. They'll all be gone. And this earth will be ruled by the most righteous and lovely man that ever walked upon the planet. His name is Jesus Christ. But you need to get ready because he is coming soon. Are you ready? He is. We need to be.
Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at btf at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen.